0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. Um, The topic of today is food sharing. Humans are unusual in the degree to which we depend on shared food. We are also unusual in our life histories relative to the other great apes. In our early age at weaning, late age at maturity and first reproduction, and decades of life past menopause, the end of fertility in females. Most paleoanthropologists reckon that, the, that these food sharing and life history patterns developed in tandem early in the evolution of our genus, two to three million years ago. The question is how and why were they connected? Two explanations are commonly offered. Both identify features of food shared as central to the evolutionary changes. Both have implications for child survivorship and female fertility. Both speak to the emergence of nuclear families as common units of human social organization. One involves the economic productivity of senior, post-fertile women acquiring plant foods that provision their grandchildren, as shown at the upper left in this illustration. The other, on the lower right, focuses on big game hunting and scavenged by men to feed mates and offspring. The more widely favored argument called the hunting hypothesis, notes that a long-term trend toward cooler temperatures, increased aridity and seasonality beginning about 10 million years ago, favored the spread of tropical savannas. Among the products of this environmental change were increases in the numbers and diversity of large bodied grazers, bovids, equids and so forth. Ancestral hominin males are said to, are thought, to have taken advantage of these developments through hunting and aggressive scavenging. They shared the meat and marrow they acquired with mates and offspring. This reduced their mates workload and supported their immature children longer so that those children could develop bigger brains for learning and practicing critical hunting skills. Nuclear families as units of common economic and reproductive interest were an outcome. The alternative, called the grandmother hypothesis, cites the same long-term environmental change, but focuses on its implications for plant resources, particularly on on the abundance of roots, tubers, and corms. Collectively called geophytes, these were well adapted to the cooler, drier, more seasonal climates emerging at the time. Ancestral hominins in these habitats began to rely more heavily on these resources, especially in dry seasons when other plant foods were relatively unavailable. Some geophytes defend themselves in ways, especially by living deep, that made it difficult for younger hominins to acquire them, but they were readily accessible to adults. Ancestral females continued to collect them as their fertilities declined. Taken most effectively in batches, they could be appropriated by others as the accumulator, especially by dependent grandchildren. Reliable subsidies for dependent offspring favored mothers weaning early, shortening their birth intervals. Females aging more slowly as their fertility declined could subsidize more grandchildren. Slower aging and greater longevity would increase in subsequent generations. Theory and data across the mammals show greater longevity predicts later maturity. In non-grandmothering taxa, later maturity also brings along later weaning but in our human radiation, earlier weaning was favored by ancestral grandmother subsidies. These hypotheses can be evaluated in at least two ways. First, by referring to patterns of resource use among modern hunter gatherers living in environments similar to those of the early Pleistocene facing similar opportunities and constraints on foraging. Do either of these two strategies in the present support reliable food sharing? Second, by referring to hominid fossil and archaeological records of resource use relative to evidence of life history changes, do they correlate as either hypothesis predicts? A subpopulation of the Tanzanian Hadza, 250 to 300 full-time hunter-gatherers living in the East African Rift, has been a primary ethnographic referent in pursuit of answers to these questions. Until recently, they represented the best available venue for assessing the real-time plausibility of either hypothesis. A University of Utah, UCLA team, Kristen Hawks, Nick Blurton, and Jones, and myself, spent more than 300 days over six years between 1985 and 1990, gathering quantitative data on time allocation, foraging returns, and food sharing among these people. During our time in the field, Hadza men hunted an average of about four hours each day with bow and poisoned arrows. They often encountered big game, gazelle, antelope, zebra, and giraffe. The latter shown serving as a stool for the fellow shown in the slide. But hunters succeeded in taking these animals on less than 4% of hunter days, only about once every hunter month. They also succeeded in aggressively scavenging large hills from lions when the latter were still feeding, an effort that accounted for about 20% of all large prey Hadza men acquired. Meat from these prey was distributed widely in each each hunter's 25 to 50 person camp, sometimes to people in other camps as well. Most of the meat any hunter took was eaten by non-family members. Most of the meat his own family ate was acquired from other hunter's kills. There was no quid pro quo reciprocity between hunters. Some hunters were highly successful at taking big game, others were less so. These differences did not affect the distribution of meat from any hunter's kill. Men, women, and children expected shares of what was often referred to as the people's meat. It was not seen as the property of the successful hunter. It was more like a public good. Even in the dry season, the times when kills are most often made and scavenging most often successful, Returns were highly variable. Periods of one to two weeks without meat in any given camp were not uncommon. Moreover, as archeologist John Speth has observed, dry season meat is often fat depleted and of relatively poor quality. This was almost certainly true in the distant past. These data show that contrary to common assumptions, the hunting hypothesis is not supported by observations among modern hunter gatherers operating like ancestral hominins as bipedal bipedal, tool using pedestrians in a seasonal environment. Ungulate and large predator populations were different, but certain basic constraints were the same. Big game hunting in these situations does not supply a reliable high quality food resource. This image shows two senior Hadza women quick quick cooking a pile of tubers collected over the course of a few hours. This image lists some characteristics of Vigda fruticens in Hadzanay, a resource taken year round by Hadza. Because of the depth and soil characteristics in which it occurs, its acquisition requires substantial upper body strength and endurance. Hence it is taken only by adults. Senior women acquire it at the same rates as do their adult daughters, but they spend more time on the task, often acquiring more than 5,000 calories per collector day. We found that their efforts determined weaned children's weight changes while their mothers were nursing new babies. Combined with mammalian life history theory, these observations provoked the grandmother hypothesis. MICWA are reliably taken year round in batches that invite sharing. Their acquisition depends on, on vigor and endurance. Senior women who have these qualities are more effective at provisioning their grandchildren and enhancing their daughter's fertilities by shortening those daughters' birth intervals. To the degree resources like this were taken in the past, these sharing patterns, increased longevity, and related changes in life history would have been favored. Tracking the use of plant resources in the ancient archeological record is difficult, but not impossible. Meanwhile, it is possible right now to monitor changes in longevity in the fossil hominin record. Research by Barbara Finley and colleagues at Cornell University has shown strong correlations among mammals between longevity and brain size. Increases in in hominin brain size relative to ancestral forms, like Ardipithecus, begin well before 2 million years ago. An important threshold may have been crossed between 2.8 and 2.1 million years ago, coincident with the emergence of genus Homo. Marginal consumption of large-bodied prey by hominids is apparent by 2.6 million years ago, but not prominent archaeologically until after 1.9 to 2 million years ago. In other words, the life history shift toward the modern human pattern apparently began several hundred thousand years before evidence of substantial human meat-eating. Reliance on another novel energy source for the increase in longevity and associated brain size is implied. Geophytes and other plant resources like them are potential candidates for this role. Why then the increase in carnivory? Archaeological and stable isotope data imply an order of magnitude jump in meat consumption for some populations of genus homo after 1.9 million years ago, at least in part through aggressive scavenging, defined as driving initial predators off their kills before they are finished eating. That's a dangerous operation. Larger body sizes and and group sizes in Homo erectus, which appeared at about this time, offered increased competitive advantages against large hominin carnivores. But the costs of these contests, the dangers, were likely even higher than they are in the modern situation. The carnivore guild was larger and more diverse than it is today and includes at least three saber-toothed cats, and one or more large hyenas, all of which are now extinct. These images show the large carnivores, lions, and spotted hyenas with which Hadza now contend for the control of large animal prey. In our experience, Hadza are always successful in in seizing fallen animals from these predators and rarely, if ever, lose control of prey they themselves have killed a success rate owed to their use of powerful bows, a technology that appears no more than 100,000 years ago. Homo erectus seems unlikely to have done done as well against tougher competition without these weapons. Still, they were successful on some occasions, as evidenced by the large human-created bone assemblages recovered from 1.9 to 1.4 million-year-old sites at Oldowai and Kubifora. Why get involved in these contests given the apparent risks? The answer may lie in the increase in longevity that had been underway for several hundred thousand years. If ancestral female fertility ended before age 50, as it does in the living great apes and, and including humans, the increase in longevity shifted the mating age sex ratio from female to male biased. More, post fem- more post-menopausal females, but also more still fertile males theory and evidence from a wide range of taxa show that with female biased fertile sex ratios multiple mating by males pattern you see in chimpanzees wins more paternities but when the mating ratio is male biased mate guarding males win more paternities why were the mate guarding efforts successful nick blurton jones has argued that large divisible resources acquired unpredictably like big game Cost too much to defend from others claiming shares. They must be shared, or more accurately, surrendered to others. The nth bite of a meat meat that I consume from a kill is less valuable to me than to a competitor who has not yet eaten any. At the same time, the competitive abilities displayed in acquiring prey from non-human carnivores may earn deference from other men in a wide range of social situations, including the defense of proprietary claims on fertile women. It's these men, these co-resident fellows, whose respect must be earned. Success in obtaining a valued public good in dangerous circumstances may be one way of earning that respect. From this perspective, it was the shift toward mate guarding that accounted for the emergence of nuclear families. While behavior that intimidated large carnivore competitors led to increased consumption and intra-group meat sharing, they were the products of a trend toward greater longevity and other changes in life in hominid life history and body size that began long before the earliest evidence of substantial human carnivory. Conventional anthropological wisdom has it that success in big-game hunting and scavenging, indicated by the, here by the distribution of meat from a giraffe carcass seized from non-human carnivores, was central to the initial evolution of human life history. But the argument that Hawks, Blurton, Jones and I are making is that the ability and incentive to take such prey evolved as a consequence of dependence on Savannah plant foods that entailed food sharing between senior women like the one shown and their grandchildren, patterns that are all well-documented among the Hadza. This is the dyad marked here by a Hadza grandmother and her granddaughter that initiated a pattern of food sharing that became central to human evolution more than 2 million years ago. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this. Have a great day. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.